Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Jesus, we do praise your name this morning. You are worth a thousand hallelujahs, a thousand more. God, we lift up your name, and we say hallelujah, Lord, save us. And we're here to celebrate because you have and you do. You continue. You continue to work resurrection. And and Jesus, the fact that you rose from the dead is proof that we have the opportunity for new life in you. God, I thank you for the life that you offer us, the life that we can receive from you. We're here to receive and celebrate that this morning. So Jesus, even as you are worthy of our praise, you're worthy of our celebration. For there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved but yours, the name of Jesus Christ. We praise your beautiful name, your powerful name. And we pray all of this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Grace family, let's give them praise this morning. Welcome everyone. For those who don't know you, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. But my name isn't the important one to know this morning, is it? It's his. So we said it already, but let's say it again. He is risen. He is risen. So he's risen indeed. So you all know what I'm going to preach on. No surprises coming. (laughs) Not one surprise at all. What I'm saying up here, even if you don't believe it, it might not be anything new if you've been to an Easter service before. And yet we all showed up this morning. Maybe you got dragged here, but the rest of us showed up to hear it again. Because sometimes what we don't need is something new. Sometimes what we need is a reminder. You know, God is more interested not in giving us something new, but in giving us something, but in giving us what we need. And and this morning, I believe what we all need is a reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, I've heard that before. That's okay. You need a reminder. We all do. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, and Paul offers us a reminder. You know, one of my favorite things about cell phones is not the apps that you get, not the fancy camera and all the features and everything. It's reminders. Because, man, I, I would not be good if I didn't have the reminders that cell phones offered. I don't know if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life. And, and you all might remember Uncle Billy. He had all these strings tied around his fingers, but he couldn't remember what the strings were for. That would be me if I didn't have cell phone reminders. But thankfully, we have cell phone reminders, and I can prompt something that'll, that'll send me a notification, that'll send me an alarm, that'll send me an interruption when I need to know something. When I need to be interrupted by... I need to be interrupted by what's distracting me or what I'm doing right now because there's something more important that's about to happen or there's something I need to know. I knew it way back when. That's why I set the reminder. 
but I need to know it now. So I'm thankful for reminders. You know, the Bible is full of reminders. Peter says, he, he writes a letter to the churches, and you know what he says? He says, I'm going to remind you of what you already know, what you already believe. Why are you going to remind us of what we already believe, Peter? He says, I'm going to spend all my days, as long as I'm here on this earth, I'm going to remind you so that I might stir you up by, by reminding you. It, it's, he, he's saying that word, stir you up, it means uh, awaken you. So the notification he's talking about is like that alarm that you woke up to this morning. At least I woke up to an alarm this morning. And it was really loud, and then I hit the wrong button on the cell phone, and I couldn't shut it off, and it was much early, and my wife was probably really annoyed by that. But that, that kind of alarm is what he's talking about that wakes us up, because at one point, the night before, I set that alarm, and I knew this was the time I needed to get up. I knew this is what I was going I, I to need interrupted in my sleep and be woken up by this. And... and, and so that alarm goes off. And here's the, here's the thing with those reminders, right? There's an option. There's still a choice in that moment. There's a snooze button. I can dismiss it. I can ignore it. That's, a, that's the one thing with reminders. I made that decision to set that reminder when I was in my right mind and when I was thinking clearly. When I'm groggy and just waking up, I can hit dismiss and ignore and snooze and think I know better than I did then. But I've got to be interrupted. We've got to be interrupted this morning by what's most important. That's what Paul's going to tell us. What's most important? Let me, let me pray one more time, and we're going to go into God's word together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your life that was poured out for us that we get to talk about this morning. I thank you for uh, your death that was pen pay paid, uh, pe the penalty of our sins. And God, I thank you that you rose, Jesus, Jesus, that you rose up from the dead to prove that we have new life in you and to offer that life in us, that you don't leave us to ourselves, but that you offer that life to us to live your life through us this morning. We celebrate that this morning, Lord. Have your way in us this morning. Remind us of what's most important, God. Wake us up to you again. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's the reminder. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it says this. Paul says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. We'll talk about what that means. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I per persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me.
May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so Paul starts out like this. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, I'm going to send you a reminder, I want to wake you up to this, to the gospel. You say, Paul, I already know the gospel. That's what we think. If you've heard this before, I already know this. Why do I need to know it again? See, because the gospel isn't just for when you got saved. If you receive Jesus Christ, if you're now in a saving relationship with him, we, we think we're, we're done with the gospel and now we've got to move on to bigger stuff. Jared, Jared Wilson, this author, he talks about the church he grew up in and, and he says this, he says, they, they preached the gospel there and every sinner heard the gospel except, of course, the ones who already had. You know, you know what he means by saying that? He means we, we get this idea that the gospel is Christianity 101. And once we get that, we come to Jesus, and then we move on to bigger stuff. And Paul and Jared Wilson and everybody else would remind us, no, 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 we don't move on to bigger stuff. This is the whole thing. This is the whole thing. J.D. Greer, a pastor, he says, the gospel is not the diving board into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the pool. You know, you know, the gospel, let me say it to you this way. The gospel is not a door to get to somewhere. The gospel is the destination. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the destination. So this is the gospel that he reminds us of. That's why Paul reminds us again and again and again and again in all his letters what the gospel is. And you know who he's writing to? Christians. Nine times out of ten, he's writing letters to churches. People who have already said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he says, here it is again. Here it is. The gospel. That's what we're here to hear again this morning. And, and, and here he says, I want to remind you of this gospel, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, uh, you are being saved, one translation says. You are being saved. Listen to that. Which you received in the past. If you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, that's your past. You received the gospel. And on which you have taken your stand, that's the present. And, and now moving on from now into the future by this gospel, you are being saved if you hold firmly. There's your application for this morning right there at the top. Have you received it? Are you standing in it? And are you holding firm to it so that you're being saved by it? You're being transformed, continually transformed by this gospel. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And now he's going to lay out this gospel, these gos this gospel that he's talking to us about. Here it is, that Christ died. That Christ died. The gospel is an event. It starts with an event, not an opinion, not hearsay, an, a historically proven event that Christ died. Oh, and, and by the way, this, this death, it wasn't an accident. It, it, it wasn't a meaningless tragedy. It had a purpose for our sins. Christ died for our sins. See, right, right at the top, this gospel is good news. That's what, that's what the word gospel means. It's good news. But to hear the good news, you start with the bad news, our sin, that, that we were made, we, we have been talking about this. If you've been with us in this journey we've taken through Genesis, we've been talking about how we've been made in the image of God to be in relationship with him. 
And we find fulfillment and purpose and enjoyment in his world, in his ways, and in his person. That's why Adam and Eve were made. That's where they find life, and that's where we find life. And then along comes this snake, and Adam and Eve, and all of us after, bought into this lie that life is better off when we're in control, not him. That we know better than what he does. And we essentially said to God, you know what? We don't want to do what you say. We don't want you in charge of our lives. We want to be in charge. So God, we'll take your stuff, but we don't want you. And see, when we talk about sin, everybody thinks, well, we're talking about breaking rules. No, when we talk about sin, we're talking about rejecting life. Because we've been invited into a relationship. We've been made for a relationship with the creator and sustainer of life. And rejecting that, there's only one end. It's death. That's why the wages of sin is death. But, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This gospel is a gift. Have you received it? Here's the thing about the gospel. It's done. The, the, the work for the gospel is done. This was God's plan all along. That's why it says Christ died for our sins in according, in according to the scriptures. It was the plan all along. God didn't spend the Old Testament worried about us messing up. And he tries one thing and tries another and tries another and tries. I can't figure these people out. <laughs> I, I'm at the end of my rope, so I guess, all right, I'll send Jesus. I, I'll come down as Jesus. No, According to the scripture, it was the plan. Jesus was the plan all along. The plan all along. Like, like, listen, we're going to talk about resurrection today, but we were dead in our sins because we rejected the author of life. You were, do you know you were dead this morning? Do you know you were dead? That's the only way resurrection is good news is you were dead. You were dead. But the good news is Jesus came died in our place. That's what we talked about on Friday night, if you were here. That Jesus did a work on the cross. See, in our rebellion, in our sin, there was a penalty to be paid. We had done wrong, and justice demanded that there was a cost to that. There was consequences to that. And there were, we were going to have to pay that. But Christ paid it instead. Christ died. See, here's, here's the thing we got to remember. The gospel is this. It's not something we do. It's something he's done. That's why Christ went to the cross, because he went to do the work we couldn't, to pay the cost we couldn't. You, you know, it's good to get gifts, right? Isn't it really good to get expensive gifts? When I was like eight or nine, I wanted this remote control car, and it was an awesome remote control car. It was black and it had flames on the side and it could do jumps and, and it could go over any kind of terrain in the commercial and there was awesome music behind it in the commercial and I wanted this remote control car. The only thing is I, I, I didn't think I'd ever get it because it was really expensive, at least in my eight, nine-year-old nine mind. And then that birthday came and my grandparents bought me the car. And all day long, I'm playing with this car, and we're having all these people over to the house, and I'm showing it off to them. And every time I show it off, I say, isn't this a great car? And guess what? It cost $40. That was a lot of money back in the 80s. Gosh, and, and I kept saying that to everybody until my dad found out, and he said, no, you don't talk about how much a gift costs. 
Okay, that's good advice to follow. With every gift, accept the gospel. You gotta talk about the cost. Our sin sent Jesus to the cross and he took on that suffering and he took on that pain and he took on that death and that was the cost and he paid it all, the agony, all for you and for me. This was the, don't stop talking about the cost. He paid that cost for you. This was the most expensive gift anybody could ever get. Have you received it this morning? If you haven't, I pray that this is the morning that you would recognize that this was a gift for you. That you might come to Jesus, fall at his feet, and trust him. That he's not just the savior of everybody else. He's the savior of you. Receive the gift this morning. This is the gospel that I pray, that I pray you've received. And if you haven't, that you'll receive this morning. But it's a gospel that not, not just that we receive, but that we stand in. Do you know you can stand in that gospel this morning? Here's the thing. Jesus paid a penalty on the cross that took care of all of our sin of the past. Everything. So if you have guilt or shame over anything you've done, come to Jesus because he paid the penalty of anything terrible you've done in your past. The guilt, the shame of that can be gone as you surrender your life to him because he paid the cost. But here's the thing. Fixing the past isn't enough, right? Like if he took just all the penalty and all the payment and all the guilt of my sins in the past, that'd be one thing. But now I've got to live this thing out and I can't do it. Now I've got to live this out. See, see, we come to Jesus and sometimes we hear the gospel and we say, yeah, trust Jesus so that you don't go to hell when you die. Now, in the meantime, shape up. And we hear these messages, they're good messages, uh, about reading your Bible and praying and fasting and giving and all these things we do as we submit our life to Christ. Those are good things. But somewhere along the way, the lie that can creep in is now we've got to do these things to please God. And we came to God knowing we couldn't please him, that Jesus had to pay that cost, but now we've got to try to live this thing out on our own and we can't do it. Do you know what we need? Not something new. We need the gospel. I figured this out so many times in my life. I remember this old job I was at, and everybody knew I was a Christian there. Everybody knew I believed in Jesus, and I followed him, and I was a pretty nice guy there. I did okay most days. But there was this one day. I got a call from this customer. This customer, and everybody knew this customer. There were like 80 people at the company. Everybody knew about this customer. They were the worst customer. Because they called and they expected you to drop everything and work on their problem. That their emergency was now your emergency. And they would do it by screaming and yelling and demanding. And every time you get on the phone with this person, you just felt so belittled. And there finally came a day after years of dealing with this customer, this customer called up in the same way and I screamed back. Not amen, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> That's not who Jesus called me to be. I screamed back and I said some stuff that wasn't some nasty stuff to this customer. And, and everybody in the office heard it. 
And you know how this goes. The other 60 or so people that weren't in the office at the time, they heard it like within the next 20 minutes because that rumor mill started flying. Do you know what happened? He told that guy off. And I hung up the, I I had slammed down the phone and I sat there. (laughs) And after I took a a couple breaths, you know what I started feeling? Shame. Man. Here I was, I had worked this place. I had told people I followed Jesus, that this is not who I was. And yet I walked right into the trap of my flesh. And I yelled and I screamed and I sinned. And now everybody knew that I wasn't the guy I was trying to be. And I just wanted to shrink out the door and go home and never come back. And you know what I needed in that moment? It wasn't something new. I needed the gospel. Same as I did that first day I came to Jesus. I needed the gospel to remind me I didn't come to Jesus because I was good then and I'm still not with Jesus because I'm good now. I'm with Jesus because I need a Savior. And in that moment, I could walk out of that office, a few moments later, I could walk out of that office and not shrink and run home, but I could walk out and have some conversations and, with people and say, you know what, yeah, you can pat me on the back for yelling at that customer, that wasn't right, and that's not who I need to be, and you know what, that's why I need Jesus because I'm still broken and I'm still busted and he's changing me, praise God, but he isn't done yet. This is a gospel on which we can stand. Are you standing on this gospel? See, see, this frees us from the need to try to earn God's love today. Not just in the past, but today. You don't have to measure up because he already did. Are you standing on this gospel? And so, this frees us to be confessional. This frees us to be honest about where we're at. We don't have to lie. We don't have to cover up. We don't have to hide our mess. We can come freely and say, do you know what? I'm a mess, but Jesus isn't. He's come to fix me. Are you standing on that this morning? And if that were all we had to say, if that was all Paul reminded us of, wouldn't that be incredible? And yet that's half the gospel. If Jesus just went to the cross, that'd be an incredible victory, but it'd be half a victory. How how would you like it if your team won the first half of the football game? How how about if you ran a race and won the first half of the race? It doesn't matter much. There's got to be a whole victory. Do you know victory with God is never halfway? And it wasn't with Jesus, and so the gospel keeps going. He didn't just die on the cross. He was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scripture. See, the plan didn't stop at the cross. This was according to the Scripture, too. That Jesus went to the cross, and it led to the grave. You mean the grave was part of the plan? Yeah, the grave was part of the plan. But the plan didn't stop at the grave. On the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. See, this wasn't a maybe. When he was in the tomb, this wasn't a maybe. This wasn't iffy. This wasn't I hope this happens. This was a definite. It was all part of the plan that he would rise again on the third day. The tomb was just a layover. The real destination was still ahead. 
And just like the scriptures said, he kept going and he was raised from the dead. Here's the way one scripture lays it out, lays out God's plan. Psalm 1610 says this, You will not abandon my soul to the pit or let your Holy One rot in the grave. Psalm 16 says that, and people look back at that and say, I know who that's talking about. Now that's talking about Jesus. You, you will not, God, you will not abandon my soul, first and foremost, Jesus, to the pit, or let your Holy One rot in the grave. You know what's kind of frightening about that it is, is it doesn't say, you will not let my soul see the pit. You won't let my soul be in the pit. It just says you're not going to abandon my soul there. It doesn't say you're not going to let your Holy One see the grave. It just says you're not going to let your Holy One rot in the grave. Because God's plan for Jesus Christ led through a pit. But, but here's the good news. God's plan for Jesus Christ, even though Jesus Christ was in a pit, God still had a plan. In the very grave, God still had a plan. And that's what we can celebrate with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that every pit we have ahead of us, God still has a plan. All the way to the grave. Right? If you keep reading in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul at the end is going to get to a place where he says, you know what Jesus' resurrection means for you? It means one day we're all going to die. But if you're in Jesus, you're going to rise again just like him. And, and one day you're going to be able to say what he says to us right now. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's not there. Because in the very pit of the grave, God still has a plan. Do you know what that means? If God has a plan for that pit in Jesus' life, for that pit in your life and my life, it means he has a plan for every pit in between. So I don't know what pit you're in this morning, but God still has a plan. Do you know that this morning? No matter what pit you're in, God still has a plan. Let me show you what I mean. He, he has a plan, but this is, I think this is one reason Paul goes on to list off all these people. You know, what this passage was, was a creed for the early church. Most people who read this passage, they think this was, you know what a creed is? It's a reminder. We've been talking about reminders of the gospel. That's what a creed is, like the, the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried, and it goes on. It's, that creed is a reminder. And, and what Paul lays out here... Most people think this was a reminder for the early church. They memorized all of this, and they recited it back to each other to remind each other what was most important. And you know what's in the middle of this reciting? They, they memorized this. All these names. Why would you memorize this? And, the, and then Jesus rose from the dead. And, and then it doesn't go on with what we believe. It just says all the people he appeared to. They appeared to Peter, and then to the 12, and after that, more than 500. Why would they memorize all this? I think two reasons. One, this was two years after Christ's death. Paul said, you don't believe me? Christ rose from the dead. Go talk to them. They've seen him alive. This is fact. It happened. But here's the other thing. When you go talk to them, you're not just going to hear that Jesus rose from the dead. You're going to hear that it changed them. You're going to hear that they were in a pit 
And God still had a plan through the pit. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, showed up in their pit. And so that's why he says that he appeared to Peter. He appeared to Cephas. Peter, remember that guy? He was the guy who denied Jesus Christ. He said to the end of his days, to his grave, he was going to be a defender of Christ. And he denied him again and again and again. And so Peter's in this pit of shame and guilt and self-loathing. But God had a plan. In the midst of that shame, in the midst of his self-loathing, God had a plan. And the risen Christ appeared to Peter. And God's plan was forgiveness. And God's plan was victory. That this man who was once a denier of Christ would be a champion of Jesus Christ. Are you in a pit of shame and guilt and self-loathing this morning? Do you know God has a plan? God has a plan of victory and forgiveness over your life. That's the gospel. Christ appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. Those, those 12 who, after Christ died, they were huddled up in a room, and it says they were afraid. They were in this pit of fear because their teacher just died. This whole thing has fallen apart, and they're trapped in fear in this pit. And the risen Christ appears to them in the middle of their pit, and you know what he says? Peace to you. Now wait here because power is going to come on you from on high. Listen, are you in a pit of fear this morning? Through the Christ rising from the dead, God has a plan for peace and power in your life through the risen Christ this morning. And then he appeared to 500, and we don't even know what that looked like. It's not talked about anywhere in Scripture. But I can bet there were 500 pits that God had a plan in, and the risen Christ showed up in the middle of. And then he appeared to James. James was one of the brothers of Jesus. He was born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. And he was a younger brother. And, and throughout his life, we don't know much about that, but we know during Jesus' ministry, his brothers were always insulting him, always telling him to do something different. See, James was in this pit of familiarity. Just empty familiarity with Jesus. He had grown up to him, grown up next to him day after day after day after day. Right next to Jesus, and he was so familiar with Jesus that he couldn't see. Couldn't see him for who he really was. Couldn't see him for who he longed to be and what he was going to do to bring about the kingdom of God. He couldn't see that this was about so much more than their little family. So James was in this pit of familiarity, and God had a plan. And the, Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, appeared to him. And drew him out of this pit of uncertainty, drew him out of this pit of familiarity. And this man is later called a pillar of the church, and he dies a martyr's death for his faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've heard about Jesus Christ since you were little, you might be in this place this morning of just, I've, I've heard about this name, I've heard about this gospel ever since I was little, and I'm so familiar with it. I've heard it so many times, it just feels empty. And you're not familiar with the idea that this gospel is to transform you today. In the middle of this pit of emptiness and familiarity, God would have invite you to recognize the power of the gospel in a way that transforms your life now. And then to the, all the apostles. After James, he appears to all the apostles. And we don't know when this was. 
But, but there was one time he did this in Matthew 28 when it was on the top of a mountain and Jesus ascends to heaven and it says his disciples were there and he gives them a mission. You know what the crazy thing it says? His disciples are there right in the midst of the risen Lord who's rising into heaven. And it says they believed. And you know what it says? Some doubted. Even right there. They're literally seeing Jesus rising up into heaven. And some of them are in this pit of doubt, of uncertainty. Is this really happening? Is this really worth giving my life to? They're in this pit, but God has a plan. And the risen Christ gives them a mission anyway. And my plan is not for you to live in this doubt and uncertainty, but for you to live as a people of courage who, whose lives are not marked by doubt but marked by one thing, that you have been with Jesus. And because you've been with Jesus, to walk out a faith that changes the world, that turns it upside down. Are you in a pit of doubt, uncertainty? Like, like is this thing really worth it? Does all this really matter? God has a plan that you would recognize, that you would awaken to, that you would wake up to the risen Christ. And the truth that he has today. And that he would infuse you with courage to go change the world. And, and then Paul continues. And this is a creed, right? Can you imagine reciting the Apostles' Creed and adding your name on the end? But Paul recites this creed and he adds his name on the end. I love that. Hey, well, well you're remembering all these guys? Hey, add me on the list too. And last of all, the risen Christ appeared to me also. As to one untimely, abnormally born, he says, I don't, uh, listen, I came late to the game. For, for I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. I don't even belong here. Do you know that? Because I persecuted the church of God because I was in a pit that, that, where I was an enemy of the cross of Christ. Paul was in this pit of empty religion. And, and he thought it was about following rules. And he thought he did it really well. And in this pit of empty religion, the risen Christ appeared to him and said, this isn't the way it works. It's not about following rules to get to God. God is pursuing you because you need a savior. And in the pit of his empty religion, God had a plan to pull the scales from his eyes and to awaken the fact that he needed Jesus and that he would be the one to declare his name to the ends of the earth. And this enemy of the gospel turned into one of the most famous champions of the gospel. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. The power, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, it had effect on me. It transformed me. Did I respond to it? Sure. He says, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was in me transformed me. Here's the last thing. The, the transformation that God longs to work in your life by the risen Christ, it, it comes by his grace, by his power within us, not by our grit. It, it's not that we come to Jesus by grace and then we work really hard to get this thing. It's his power all the time, always working through us as we respond to him. This transformation, like, this is how we continue to be saved by the gospel. How the gospel continues to transform us. 
if we hold firmly. Are you holding firmly to this? So there's, there's a guy named Bob George who wrote a, wrote a book called Classic Christianity. And, and he talks about having some neighbors that, that he would minister to and that he would tell, talk to about Jesus. And both of them, the husband and wife, both of them were alcoholics. And they just kept running to drink every night. And so he started to talk to them about Jesus. And as he talked to them about Jesus, the wife re- responded. And, and the wife believed And the wife's life started changing, and she gave up alcohol, and Jesus started doing more and more miraculous things in her life. But the husband, I mean, he said he believed, and he even walked down the aisle of the local church, had a come-to-Jesus moment to say that he was surrendering his life to Jesus, but nothing changed. He would try as hard as he could, and nothing changed. He was still stuck in addiction. He would still come home drunk. And, and, and there finally came this one night. The wife called Bob again and said, listen, Stan came home. He's drunk again. Can you come talk to him? And he's walking to Stan's house, and he's thinking, I've told him everything I know. I've told him all about Jesus, told all about the change he can work in his life. I've told him everything I know. God, give me something. And Bob sits with him, and he tells him again. And then the Spirit of God prompts him in this moment to ask a question he had never asked before. He says, Stan, what Jesus did you surrender to? What Jesus did you surrender to? And Stan kind of still like hung over. He said, I, I, I don't know what you mean. And Bob said, what Jesus did you surrender to? Did you surrender to Jesus the man who was born 2,000 years ago and lived a good life, lived a perfect life, and worked miracles and spoke a message of love and died on a cross 2,000 years ago? Did you surrender to Jesus the man or did you surrender to Jesus the son of the living God? Jesus who was the word became flesh. Jesus who rose three days later from the grave, who's alive today, who's reigning, who's interceding for you on behalf of God and who comes to live his life through you by way of his spirit. And Stan said, I guess I surrendered to Jesus the man. And and that night, Stan surrendered to Jesus the God. Jesus the risen one, who who came not to just rescue 2,000 years ago, but to live his life through his people. See, God doesn't leave us now to live this life on our own. Jesus comes by his spirit to live his life through us. And that's why Paul can say, I have been crucified with Christ. Now it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Do you know why he can do that? Because he rose again. That's what difference the resurrection makes to you today. Not that just, just that you're rescued years down the road when you die to go to heaven, but that Jesus Christ is alive today and comes to live his life through you as you surrender fully to him. This is the gospel. Have you received it? Are you standing in it? Are you holding in it? That you might continue to be saved by it. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this gospel. I thank you for this reminder this morning of your life, Jesus, lived for us. Your perfect life. You lived a life that we could not live You lived a life honoring fully the law 
and the relationship with God. It was a relationship and a life we had turned our back on, but you lived it fully, Jesus, for us. And then you died and took the penalty of our sin on yourself. And then, Jesus, three days later, you rose again. And you are risen today. And that means we're not left to live this life on our own, but we are enabled to live this life by, the, by your grace, by your power, by your person, with us and through us. God, wake us up to the life we have in Christ. I pray over every heart in this place within the sound of my voice this morning who may have heard this gospel a thousand times, who may be so, so familiar with it, it just sounds empty. And God, I pray that in this moment, you would unveil our hearts and eyes to the reality and truth of the life-giving gospel, of the resurrection gospel that would raise us out of graves today that we might be in restored and right relationship with you. God, I pray that in this moment, every heart and mind would turn to you and recognize again or maybe for the first time, Jesus, that you are our Savior. And that you came because we had no way, we had no rescue, we were dead. Jesus, we surrender afresh to you as Savior today. And God, we surrender to you as Lord. Jesus, three days later, you rose from the grave and you are now seated in full victory at the right hand of the Father. And God, we celebrate that victory this morning that you are alive today. And therefore, we have hope. God, we celebrate and sing of the hope we have today. And it's a living hope that's found only in you, Jesus. Jesus, stir us awake again with the life that you offer to us. That we might live today as your saved people, as your victorious people. And that we might walk in newness of life today. In your precious, holy, healing, victorious name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Grace, would you stand to your feet? And let's we hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.